This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6. What you need and what you want in a motorcycle helmet. Hello and welcome to the first Paddock Pass Podcast of 2020. A new decade rolls in, but luckily enough, we've got the same old tired faces on the podcast. Steve English, Dave Emmett and Neil Morrison joining us today. And uh, boys, did you have a good Christmas and a good New Year's? I had a very quiet Christmas, which was um, absolutely fantastic, considering the amount of work we have to do when the season is on. So, yes, I uh, enjoyed it. I talked about motorbikes with my uncle, which is uh, always great. We managed to talk about motorbikes for just about three days straight. So, yeah, it was uh, entirely enjoyable. Yeah, it actually sounded, Dave, like you should have uh, recorded quite a few of the conversations with your uncle. He's got quite the checkered past. He has a certain amount. Uh, he has had a certain amount of success in these past. What with them, um, uh, with the old two strokes and stuff. So um, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's he's not done so badly. Yeah, you're going to tell us anything about it, Dave, or you're just going to leave it there as mystery for all the listeners. Well, well, the thing is, he told me um, um, uh, when he was, uh, uh, yeah, my basically my uncle tuned um, and prepared the. Uh, F2 Yamahas, the 350s, um, for uh, Len Manchester Racing, um, which Brian Reed won a the F uh, an F2 World Championship on, uh, also won the 2T on. So um, yeah, they were. He was quite good. He's very very um, well. He's very very knowledgeable about two strokes. But whenever I ask him things about four strokes, then he uh, says he needs to have a think about it. So, um, uh, but. Yeah, that was that was very good. That was uh, very interesting. I learned lots and lots of that uh, about that. So, Neil, while there was some serious thinking going on in the Emmet House, was there just some serious drinking going on in the Morrison household? <laughs> You've got it just about right, Steve. Yes, I'm slightly worried that you said the same old tired faces. If this is me looking tired after three weeks of holiday over Christmas, then I'd hate to think what it'll look like at the end of a race weekend. But yeah, all good. Thanks. Nice Christmas. New Year and uh, looking forward to the year ahead. Well, we're into the year ahead now. So what's the what's the New Year's resolutions for you boys, Neil? Um, uh, tough one. Just um, be more efficient with my time, I think. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, w- what Neil said. Yeah, I think I'm just going to go for the old dry January. As a non-drinker, it basically means I have to make absolutely <laughs> no commitment whatsoever to self-improvement. And that really is the goal for every New Year's resolution. But uh, when we look at uh, look ahead to 2020, because that's what this show is going to be, the first show of a new decade, the first show of the year. And we're going to look ahead to some of the things that we're really excited about in 2020. We're going to talk about a couple of the news topics as well that have come to light over the last few weeks. Andre Iannone's doping case and a few other things as well. But uh, we'll start off just by what we're mostly excited about through the year. So, David, if you want to take first bat at this, what's the, the first thing that you're excited about in MotoGP in 2020? I think the thing that I'm most excited about and interested in is seeing how KTM and Aprilia will do in 2020. Um, KTM, I mean, they seem to be on the verge of, you know, making a real breakthrough um, this year. They brought a new chassis to the tests in uh, in November at uh, both Valencia and Jerez, uh, and that was a big uh, that was a big improvement. It was lighter and uh, really helped to sort of uh, change as well um, in the change of direction. Uh, they've made improvements in 
the engine in the software, uh, you know, traction control. Um, so I really think that this could be, you know, a really good year for it. Uh, Polis Bargaro is getting better. Brad Binder, uh, obviously an exciting rookie. Uh, really interested to, to see what Miguel Oliveira can do as well on the uh, uh, on the Tech 3 bike because he's going to be really quite irritated by the fact that uh, Brad Binder got the uh, got the call to the factory team over him. Uh, so I suspect he's going to be really uh, quite motivated. And obviously, Danny Pedrosa has been a huge, huge role in in testing for KTM. Um, he's really starting. To, I think we're now starting to see the fruits of his of his sort of test work pay off. So you know, like for for me, KTM um, really. I, I think this is going to be a breakthrough year for them. They have to be sort of top ten pretty much every race, and I think we might see them sort of earn um, uh, look as if they might earn a po- a podium uh, as well. Yeah, and it's interesting as well, David, because obviously KTM trying to make that step, but Aprilia also trying to make their big step forward. And a lot of talk that they're going to have a brand new bike for the Sepang test and uh, pretty much revolutionizing what they've been doing in GP over the last few years. Yeah, exactly. The the, the thing, especially about uh, Aprilia, is it's not just about um, uh, improvements to the bike. It's also about uh, improvements to the organization and the structure. Um, having Massimo Rivola come in from... Uh, F1 has made a big difference. He's reorganized the, 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 the way that the, 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 the company works. Um, he has hired more engineers. Uh, there's, you know, uh, engine guys, electronics guys, aerodynamics guys. Um, Alessia Spargo has been pretty downbeat all through 2019. Uh, but he was really quite positive and upbeat about uh, what was going on in uh, 2020, um, about the changes in the organization. Uh, so I think changes inside organizations are the sort of things which you don't really see the fruits of until you are, um, until you are sort of somewhere, uh, uh, until you get sort of several months down the road, it takes a long time for for everyone to get their sort of ducks in a row. This is the same that we saw with uh, with Ducati uh, when Gigi Dallini came. The first thing he did was just reorganise the whole racing department, and it took him a year to find his feet. Um, and then from 2014, 2015, you start to see some real improvements in the uh, uh, in the Desmo Sedici. So I have high hopes for Aprilia in 2000 and, uh, uh, in 2020. I think it's going to be an interesting bike. Um, you know, Alicia Spargaro has got a lot, has had a lot of time on the bike. We'll have to see who ends up, um, in Andrea Iannone's place. Um, or, you know, whether he's even allowed to ride, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll obviously we'll come to that later. But, uh, I honestly think that Aprilia, you know, the, the new bike could be a really big step forward. Okay. And uh, obviously for Aprilia, after such a tough couple of years as well, they can't really go further back. It's all about being able to find that improvement and be able to move themselves forward. The big thing is going to be when you go to the Sepang test, Dave, just to be able to see that Espagaro is actually a little bit more positive because by the end of last season, he was being pretty negative in the press. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was really negative. Uh, in the way well, it was really negative to, to, to us for most of the season, except right at the end when we, uh, like I say, he was really quite upbeat at the Jerez test in November, um, when I think he'd had a few things sort of 
uh, explained to him when he started to see the, uh, the the changes being made. I've had occasional sort of uh, uh, chats with uh, Bradley Smith, um, uh, currently a previous test rider. He seems to be very positive about uh, about the direction the program is moving in. So I really think it's going to be. Um, I, I really think there's there's some serious change there, and it, it's always interesting seeing how those sort of organisational changes uh, uh, play out because I think that with a lot of factories a lot of the problems are actually you know more centered around the the, the organizational issues than anything else and uh, what about you neil what are you most looking forward to for next year um well i guess uh, i'm going to look at another factory and um wonder whether they'll be able to basically up their game from where they were or basically continue on the same line. Um, and that is, uh, I'm interested to see what uh, what Yamaha can do in 2020 because um, you'd have to say by the end of last season, they were more or less the, the strongest package on the grid. Um, and in particular, uh, I'm really excited to see just who will be uh, the leading Yamaha in the first couple of uh, race weekends that we have this season. Um, Fabio Quartararo was obviously outstanding in 2019. I think one of... Uh, um, the star men of last year. Uh, Maverick Vinales overcame a pretty rotten start to the year um, to become more consistent, probably as consistent as he's ever been in MotoGP. Um, and I think those two guys, it'll be a really interesting battle to see um, yeah, who comes out on top. And, and I think, well, at this early moment, without having seen what um, what has happened or what has played out in any of the preseason tests this year, um, if I had to take a, a stab in the dark, I might say that those would be the guys most likely to challenge Marquez this year. Um, Yamaha obviously did a lot of really good work, a lot of really strong work last winter. Uh, some of those organizational changes that David was talking about in KTM, well, sorry, in Aprilia, um, Yamaha had to do quite a lot of restructuring. They had a new project leader in for last year. Uh, Sumi-san seemed to make um, some real progress. Um, the factory was actually bringing upgrades for riders to test during the year something we haven't seen in like three years um and yeah those kind of rear grip issues that they were having basically since the Midlands came in um i mean yamaha was one of the strongest packages towards the end of the race uh, the only thing that was uh, their downfall was that chronic lack of top speed so should they address um should they address the top speed issue that they had in 2019 um you know if they can just get another couple of um, miles per hour uh, down the straight and that's really going to be quite a tough package to beat you would say and uh, dave what do you think about yamaha for next year then as well yeah, well like uh, like neil said i think it's going to be really uh, it's going to be very interesting again as he pointed out, organisational changes. We're really starting to see organisational changes uh, sort of uh, pay off. I think um, this is uh, also they they bought in um, uh, Takano, who used to be the engineer who helped them, who helped them build the 2008-2009 MotoGP bikes, the bikes that they were really uh, successful on. He's a chassis engineer. He went away to work on the uh, on Yamaha's Niken project, the three wheeler. Um, which was first a scooter, the, the Tricity, and then turned into the, into the Nikon. Um, that's really, really interesting. It's really, really interesting background. He's really, uh, good. We saw a lot of, um, new chassis at, uh, at, at the November tests. Um, I, yeah, we saw a lot of improvement as well because Maverick Vinales looked much more competitive uh, at the end of 2019 and 2018. And uh, as you say, you know, a bit more, a 
bit more horsepower down the down the straight, and uh, the, the bike will be really competitive. And I think they genuinely have the um, uh, the you know the 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 best. The, well, the the best talent sort of across the board. Uh, I mean, obviously, Mark Marcus is still the man to beat. He's still the most talented rider on the grid. But, you know, the, that combination, you've got Maverick Vinales, you've got uh, Fabio Quattararo, uh, you've got Valentino Rossi, you can probably still do it. Franco Morbidelli, maybe with a year on the Yamaha, can uh, uh, make another step forward. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think there's definitely reason to be excited if you, um, uh, if you're a Yamaha fan. And I would also say, you were talking there, Dave, about KTM and Aprilia stepping forward. I mean, um, no matter how big a step they're going to make, it's, it's a, going to be a massive ask for those guys to get those consistent top tens. Because as you said, you've got essentially four Yamahas that will all be the same spec. Um, and then you throw in a couple of Hondas, two Suzukis that are strong, four GP20 Ducatis. Um, and yes, just even finding a way into that top 10 or top 8 as KTM and Aprilia are trying to do uh, will be quite difficult and you would have to say as as you pointed out that you know I mentioned Cordero and Vinales I think those guys are going to be the pick of the Yamaha bunch but um, you know it doesn't mean that I'm completely writing Rossi and Morbidelli off either um, you know I expect those guys to be up there in top 6s top 8s for a lot of this year yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, this is the thing. The, the, the real problem for KTM Aprilia is that they have to make sort of like three steps forward every year uh, because all the other factories are making one or two steps forward uh, just to catch up. But um, like I say, I still it still really feels like they are on the brink of, uh, you know, making, uh, getting closer, um, uh, making that step forward. And that, again, is the real challenge. I think the real challenge is uh, is getting to the point where the bike is no longer the issue and it's down to the riders. And w once you can prove that the bike is competitive, then it's easier to start signing, you know, bigger names perhaps, attracting uh, 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 attracting bigger names to, to the factory and, uh, and getting that sort of extra, you know, three, four, five tenths, which is... Uh, in the hands of the rider and not just the bike but first you have to be close enough to to uh, persuade another uh, you know a really top rider to take a to to gamble yeah and that's one of the things that for next year i'm really excited about dave because it does look like there's going to be all those riders available on the market pretty much and uh, it's a question of who's going to slot into different teams and kind of going back to what you were saying about yamaha as well with the changes in personnel that they've had when you look at yamaha as a company all the people that brought Rossi over to Yamaha in 2004 and then when he brought when he came back after his couple of years in Ducati, they're all leaving the company now. So a lot of the people that are loyal to Rossi are also leaving Yamaha. So maybe that's where Yamaha now find that they're in a position to try and make a change in their factory team. And that's going to be one of the big interesting stories all the way through until, you know, Mugello, Catalonia time, whenever you'd expect to see Rossi's decision haven't been made as to whether he'll keep racing past next year or where he'll keep racing if he's in MotoGP. So I think that that's going to be a really interesting storyline next year. And the same with all the other riders. Who Ducati put in their bike? Obviously, we saw a lot of the stories over the course of the end of the season about Petrucci being turfed out and Miller moving up and a lot of other rumours. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. The same for all the other manufacturers. And Honda as well is going to be very interesting just to see how the likes of Alex Marquez can do. Because, Neil, going back to what you were saying about how tough it is to break into the top 10 in MotoGP, like for Marquez, it has to be a question of what's a successful season for him. Is it just how close he gets to Mark? 
or is it how many top tens he has if he has a podium if he is this or if he is that or if he's able to finish the year as the top rookie so I think for someone like Marquez the silly season next year is going to be related mostly to what the expectations are for him and for some of the other younger riders in next year. Yes, yeah, so what uh, what do you kind of foresee as being one of the biggest uh, changes? Because this is all going to start, I think, during the tests. We're probably going to start hearing lots of rumours of who's targeting who and which riders speaking to which factory. I mean, we're going to pretty much see everyone talking to everyone, right? Yeah, that's, what, that's what's going to be really interesting about it. And particularly, are Yamaha going to be able to move Quattro onto their factory bike? Or are they going to risk losing him to another manufacturer? What's going to happen with Ducati? How much money are they going to be able to offer some of the top riders? And the same goes for you know what what actually happens with any of those leading riders because they could all look at this as being either their last payday or their last chance of getting onto a good bike. Yeah, for me, I really think that um, there's obviously going to be some really big changes. I think we might see a lot of retirements. Uh, I think there's you know a serious chance that Valentino Rossi is going to retire. Um, obviously, you'd, you'd expect that to be announced around um, Magello, but that sort of holds up the field because depending on what uh, Valentino Rossi does, um, that's going to uh, sort of determine how many how many seats are available at um, in the factory team, uh, whether they can move Quartararo up. You've got uh, Ducati. Is Andrea Dovizioso uh, going to continue for another year? There's lots of uh, talk about a rift between Dovizioso and Dominia. Um, is Dovizioso running out of patience? I think. Um, uh, we're, uh, I think, you know, the question is, what's the, what's the Ducati going to be like? Um, uh, so who goes there? Obviously, the, it, it looks like they're going to want to move, uh, Jack Miller up to the, uh, to the factory time team. If David Chiesa decides to leave, does he go to another factory? Does he retire? Does he switch to World Superbikes? Who knows? Um, uh, so, uh, you know, Suzuki, is anyone going to, is one, is anyone going to take a, a, a risk on, uh, jumping maybe to K to, to to KTM if KTM look really really um, uh, look really really competitive. Uh, what is, is is Maverick Vinales happy inside Ducati or is he going to uh, jump across to do to or uh, to, to Ducati? There are so many. <laughs> there's so many imponderables. Again, a Mark Marquez. I think Mark Marquez is going to stay because he's got Honda basically wrapped around his little finger. But uh, what if um, Honda are horrible to Alex? You know, that that could have a real effect. What if Alex is not very good and, and Alex blames Honda and Mark blames Honda? What happens there? Yeah, and you mentioned, Dave, about the retirements as well. Obviously, one of the big things that's been talked about a lot over the last year has been Cal Crutchlow's future and whether or not he'll keep racing past next year. But one of the big rumours in the Superbike paddock is that it looks pretty much nailed on that Crutchlow is going to do the Suzuki 8 hours this year. Is that a sign that he's trying to tick off another box in his career? Is that a sign that he sees a, another challenge in his career and different things like that? So, like For all these riders, the opening few rounds, they're the ones that really matter, aren't they? Because if you're able to have good results in the first three, four, five rounds, it gives you that bit of a bargaining power. It gives you that bit of confidence to think that, yeah, you can still keep winning races, that you can put yourself into a position to win a championship again. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, you you also have to sort of... Uh, uh, I mean, obviously, like, uh, Valentino Rossi is the prime example just because, uh, for him, all of these guys go racing not just to pass the time, but because, you know, they they, they love winning and they love competing. 
um, uh, and perhaps more than loving winning, they hate losing. And uh, I think for Valentino Rossi, he's going to have to make a decision on, okay, can I still be competitive? And if he thinks he can't be competitive, then then, then I think he's going to call it a day and try and succeed somewhere else, look for a, look for a new challenge. Um, Cal Crutchlow, I think from everything I know about uh, uh, about Cal Crutchlow, uh, you know, he's moving to California soon. Um, he wants to grow up with his uh, with his, you know, he wants to he wants to watch his daughter grow up. Um, so to me, I think he's definitely. Got, I think that that's definitely a sign to retire. It doesn't really wouldn't surprise me to see him do the Suzuka eight hour because that would definitely be a, um, a a tick box, and it was also it would also allow um, uh, Marquez to get out of it for one more year, uh, have Honda on a really fast uh, on a really competitive bike. Um, so. Yeah, there's. I think. I think there's going to be some serious, uh, serious shakes, shakes, shakeups, shakes up. Yes, there's going to be a sort of a, a proper shakeup of the grid next year, and it's going to be interesting to see. I think there's going to be sort of more changes than we expect, but also um, sort of fewer changes at the same time. What with because I think I can't see Suzuki changing. Yeah, and uh, that's what's going to be the interesting thing is just to see how it all evolves through the year. But Neil, going back to you for another thing that you're excited about. What's the second thing that you're excited about for 2020? Uh, well, David just mentioned uh, Suzuki there. Will they keep their two riders in place for 2020? Sorry, 2021. Um, and I think the internal battle between Alex Rins and Joanne Mir, uh, I think is something to really keep our eyes on um, in the year ahead. Uh, just because I thought that was quite an interesting little um, little subplot that was going on in the second half of last year. Um, I thought Mir was really, really starting to get the hang of um, riding the MotoGP machine around the halfway mark of last year. Um, then I think he was circulating inside the top three um, at the Brno test after the Czech Grand Prix in August. And then he obviously had that massive, massive crash at turn one um, where a, basically a, a mechanical issue forced him to, to bail. Uh, and then after that, he, uh, he impacted the... Um, the kind of the, the air fences at pretty alarming speed and um, really I don't think he recovered fully from that in the rest of the, the second half of the year there were a couple of occasions especially when we went to the, the hotter countries to race like in Thailand and in Malaysia where he felt uh, serious issues um, breathing um, and that really held him back in those instances but you look at the, the testing speeds uh, lap times I mean Mir was pretty much with Rins um, at, uh, at both uh, Valencia and Jerez at the end of last year. Um, and you speak to some people in Mir's garage and they certainly seem to be of the opinion that Alex Rins is, um, well, let's, a little a little worried, a little concerned, um, is maybe less inclined to be as open with uh, data sharing and um, tip giving as he was uh, this time a year ago uh, to his young teammate. I mean, we, we saw what Mir did in Moto3 in his championship year, I mean, that was just quite outstanding. Um, his first couple of races in Moto2, I think he possibly could have won his third ever race in Moto2 had things gone his way and he didn't uh, basically get nerfed off the first corner. Like, he is a real, real talent. Um, and, um, yeah, I think he also still has quite a few admirers around the paddock in, and I'm talking about people in, in very high places. So I wouldn't be surprised if someone at Honda or someone at Ducati, uh, if they cannot get their absolute first target, uh, might uh, see if Joanne Mir could be available as well for 2021. Um, I think that is how highly he is rated by a lot of people. So um, yeah, I think um, seeing Alex Rins, how he 
how he reacts to the uh, the growing threat of his teammate is going to be something to really keep an eye on uh, in the year ahead. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Suzuki is going to be really interesting. Like you said, Juan Mir is really starting to threaten um, uh, his teammate Alex Rins. Uh, Rins looks good, but um, uh, he has a few weaknesses, and sometimes you can really see that you know Mir is going to be is going to be a problem. I think he was unlucky with the with the crash. The bike was fantastic this year, and it's going to be a little bit better next year. Um, so yeah, there's there's really a lot to look forward to there. I really think you you really think that Suzuki is going to. Um, make a step forward in 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 2020, um, and yeah, Juan Mir might turn into. I mean, usually what happens? Riders usually leave factories when they feel they're not getting the respect they deserve. And if Juan Mir is starts going too fast, then maybe that's enough for Alex uh, Rins to, to say, "Well, they're giving him too many parts. I want uh, uh, I want something else, and I'll leave." Or maybe Juan Mir says, "You know, look, I'm clearly um, uh, clearly competitive with Alex, but I don't think Suzuki is supporting me. So I think Suzuki are going to do their best to keep both riders, but um, uh, there's still an awful lot uh, uh, up in the up in the air there." And uh, as you say, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, we saw Suzuki win two races last year. How many can they win in 2020? Yeah, and there's definitely pitfalls of having those two top young riders within a team as well. We've seen it time and time again over the years. And obviously, Rins has been able to pick up a couple of race wins and build his confidence. But the second half of the year, we did see that Mir was starting to get the upper hand at times. So, David, other than... Uh, what you were talking about earlier on with uh, KTM and Aprilia. What are you most looking forward to in 2020? Well, I touched on it earlier. Um, Ducati, I think uh, I think 2020 is going to be an absolutely crucial year for Ducati. Um, the bike is fast. Uh, you know, it brakes well. It, does, it, it accelerates well. It has fantastic mechanical grip. The one thing where it still struggles is in turning. Um, now Ducati were trying a lot of chassis at uh, the uh, both the Valencia and the Jerez test in November last year. Um, they've used that data to produce, you know, more chassis for Sepang. Um, Gigi Delinia said that turning is going to be a really important factor for them. Uh, that, that's really going to be the the, uh, the the next uh, uh, sort of objective to work on this year. Uh, Andre Andre Dovizioso has been really quite bitter sometimes about in his comments about um uh, about the fact that the bike still won't turn that they still have ex- you know the, the, this same problem uh, so yeah seeing whether Ducati have finally fixed that problem uh, seeing whether the, the the bike actually you know will turn is more agile will turn more easily um will become more uh, competitive you know, give basically give Dovizioso, Petrucci, Miller, uh, Bagnaia an extra weapon to uh, try to take um, uh, to try to take on you know Marquez and and, uh, and the rest. So yeah, I, I think it it feels like this is going to be really important. Also, it's going to be important if the 2020, if the GP20 um, turns better, it's going to be much easier to persuade uh, a rider like, for example, Maverick Vinales. 
to 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 make the step, um, uh, you know, to, to to come across. So uh, I, I think you know the first like three four races in uh, in, in MotoGP, uh, Jerez. I think Jerez could be quite important. Um, Precisely because it's such a you know it's it's a much tighter track it's a much it's much more of a track which is about um, uh, you know sort of being able to hold a hold a line maybe also uh, uh, Argentina because it's a fast flowing circuit it's the kind of circuit where Ducati really suffered um, uh, in, in in previous years so yeah I seeing those races I think that's that's what I'm looking forward to, look, looking forward to see the difference that, they, that it makes there. And uh, Neil, obviously, over the last few years, we've seen that Davi has been the lead rider for Ducati. He's been the rider that's been able to win most of their races, be able to put himself into being a title contender. Dave was talking there about how Ducati needs to make their next step to be able to try and make the bike attractive for Vinales. And we've already seen that they've taken their interest in Jack Miller quite far. Do you think is this the end of the road potentially for Davi and Ducati? Uh, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, um, we have seen through the past two years some fault lines appear very occasionally in their relationship. I think, um, well, um, if you if you hear kind of uh, some rumours and whispers, um, Davizioso's comments at the Saxon Ring last year, where he basically came out and said Ducati needs to change its priorities and really emphasise its work on. Um, on this turning deficiency that it's had for so long. Um, I mean, those comments apparently weren't so well received by Delinia. He didn't uh, take kindly really to, to his efforts of bringing Ducati so far forward, uh, being put down like that. Um, and there were a few little moments in public where we saw Davizios or maybe snap at something like he, he didn't seem at all impressed whenever he was asked about, um, the possibility of Jorge Lorenzo coming and taking Jack Miller's seat at uh, Pramac uh, last year in the press conference before the Austrian GP. I think someone asked, um, you know, does this, does the fact that Gigi's pursuing um, Lorenzo, uh, does that reflect badly on how he feels of his current lineup? And he just, he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, well, you have to ask him. But you kind of got the impression that he wasn't too impressed with the whole fiasco that was, uh, that was kind of unraveling at that moment. So, um, yeah, you would think that, um, that maybe Davizioso's uh, time is up, but you'd also say that Petrucci's time, surely, uh, with everything that went on at the end of last year, um, Petrucci cannot be in that team for much longer uh, than than this year ahead. So, yeah, maybe Ducati will be looking at um, an all-new lineup for, for 2021. I, I would be really surprised, right now, I'd be really surprised if Jack Miller wasn't a factory Ducati rider in 2021 because his his kind of progress over the last I think 18 months has been quite impressive and um, and just to add on to what Dave was saying there I think um, yes seeing whether Ducati can make big inroads um, or, or big steps forward with its turning that's something to look out for another thing to look out for I think is Jack Miller and just how uh, often he's able to compete with and possibly beat Davizioso. Yeah, I, I think the uh, I think you're right about uh, about Miller. You know, Miller versus Dovizioso is going to be a really interesting. Um, uh, it's going to be a really interesting competition. It's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, you know, just how far 
Jack Miller has come. He seems to have matured a lot. Uh, I think especially like this this last season, um, made a really big step forward. Um, and you know Miller could be a key factor in what happens uh, what happens at, uh, at Ducati. And also the fact that you know if if Miller is beating Dovizioso and Petrucci, then it means that uh, you know that the bike is good. That the bike really is good, and it's not just the team. So enough about uh, all these fancy Dans and uh, overly stylized uh, prima donnas in MotoGP. Uh, we have the voice of World Superbikes in our midst, after all. And uh, Steve, uh, you told us one thing that you're looking forward to in MotoGP in 2020, but your home is the World Superbike Championship, and a lot of changes have been afoot there also. Uh, what in the World Superbike Championship this year are you most looking forward to seeing? Um, an over-stylized fancy Dan, Scott Redding. I want to see uh, <laughs> Scott Redding in the championship. I want to see what he can do. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Redding adapts to World Superbikes after winning the British Championship last year. Because he went to Britain and it was really a case of you have to win this championship if you want to be able to move your career on. And he went out and he did that. He turned up a track he had never seen before. He was riding Pirelli tires. He was having to really have to readapt himself to something new. And he instantly was the fastest rider in the championship. He, he was immediately a cut above everyone else, as he should have been. And now he goes into World Superbikes with his confidence up. And everyone from MotoGP knows how talented Scott Redding is. But now he's actually got it where the expectation is to win races, to challenge for a championship. He's on the best bike on the grid. He's got one of the best teams in the grid. He's got a team with huge amounts of funding behind him compared to some of the other teams in Superbikes. And the... Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he does straight off the bat in the championship. I think the battle between him and Chaz Davis is going to be really interesting because I think he can... Scott's always able to get under the under the nails of people and he's able to annoy them and he's able to just play mind games with them. And it'll be interesting to see how the relationship develops between himself and Chaz. They've known each other a really long time, but this is the first time they've had to race against each other and that'll be a real back and forth, I think. And Chaz will also know that this is a contract year for him. He needs to make sure that he's able to warrant being a factory Ducati rider next year. And the only way to do that is to beat his teammate. So both of those riders are going to be the two to really keep an eye on, especially in the early season races. Will they be capable, do you think, of uh, breaking the Kawasaki, Johnny Ray hegemony? I mean, testing performances at the end of last year, certainly on Reading's side, did seem pretty impressive. Well, I think the important thing is that like for most of the season, the Ducati was the best bike on the grid and it had the top speed advantage. It had a lot of really positive attributes on the bike. But when you look at the season as a whole, it's always going to come down to whether or not you think Bautista threw the championship away or Johnny won the championship. And I think that's what's going to be the big thing for Reading and for Davis is to avoid making all those mistakes. What's going to be key for Reading is he's going to bring Giovanni Krupe across as his crew chief. So that's the crew chief he had in BSB. But it's also, probably most importantly, it's one of the absolute top men in the Superbike program in Ducati. Gigi Delinia trusts Giovanni pretty much 100%. So having him on your side of the box can make a big difference. What about Honda? Obviously, Honda seems to be the wild card with this brand new um, uh, Fireblade that they've got, and you know it genuinely is a new bike. It genuinely looks much more interesting. 
Uh, I sort of keep coming across rumors that the thing um, uh, is breaking lap records. Um, is this all smoke and mirrors or is it for real? It, I mean, and again, you know, Bautista came over, he ripped up the first half of the year in, in 2019 and sort of went to pieces in 2020. What, what happens on, on the Honda in, uh, 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 what does Bautista do on the Honda? Well, I think it's not only what Bautista does, it's what Haslam does as well, because Phillip Island is both of their favourite tracks. So they can go there and feel really confident with that bike that they're going to be able to challenge at the front. I wouldn't be surprised if Honda wins at Phillip Island, but I'd be very surprised if Honda wins through the whole season. And I think when I've heard, like you, David, I've heard some of the rumours about what went on in the tests. They did three tests, one in Aragon, one in Jerez and one in Portimao. I think they did seven or eight days testing across the three the three tracks the times were really competitive in aragon compared to the superbike test uh, a week earlier i think they were around about a half a second to a second slower than the times we saw on that group test they went down to Jerez and were immediately very fast they went to portimao and on race tires were very fast as well so the bike looks pretty well sorted in terms of it's got you know 90 percent of what it needs now it's about trying to unlock that final 10 percent and to be able to beat Kawasaki, to be able to beat Ducati and to be able to beat Yamaha as well is going to be a challenge and that's where they need to have everything lined up correctly but they've spent serious money on that project for this year. There's pretty much no one involved in the team from last year that's been carried forward into 2020 so it looks like Alberto Pooch has basically just brought in a load of people from the Grand Prix paddock to try and lead this project and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they all adapt to working with Pirelli's working with a superbike and uh, the differences between whether it's a Moto2 bike a MotoGP bike and a superbike because we know that LCR lost a couple of personnel to the, the HRC team I think Repsol's lost a couple of people as well so it shows that they are taking it seriously next year and that's obviously going to be one of the big storylines all the way through the year looking forward to that um, so when we come back after this break we'll just wrap up on some of the news that we've seen and uh, we'll start off with the Andrea Iannone news so we'll uh, rejoin us in just a couple of moments time This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6 the best helmet for any use made from technologies developed in MotoGP finally a comfortable versatile and safe road helmet for any motorbike and any rider thanks to the same advanced materials and innovative technology used to help world champions achieve the maximum in the most extreme conditions everything you need is now combined with everything you've ever wanted the new agv k6 helmet welcome back to the paddock pass podcast and as i said just before the break we're going to talk now about andrea iannone and his doping case obviously it's a very unusual case we don't tend to see an awful lot of anti-doping cases in motorcycle racing obviously anthony west a couple of years ago had a well publicized case nori haga before that for uh, weight management doping and uh, that's pretty much been typically what we've seen either that or as recreational drug use for riders david this case with Ianone is a little bit different this is for an anabolic steroid that uh, was came up in his uh, sample from the malaysian grand prix so for Ianone, it does seem like it's verging into very different territory compared to some of the other cases we've seen in the past 
yes, the, I mean the the substance that he was uh, found positive with was a, a, a wait a minute, let me try and get this right, drosphanolone, uh, which is a basically it's a steroid which is used to uh, drop weight and. Uh, um, produce lean muscle. It's used. It was used in, in bodybuilding a lot to uh, sort of get muscle definition because it sort of it drops water from the uh, from the muscles. Um, as far as I have been able to find, um, uh, it's not really used in uh, in in farming or agriculture. Um, it's not like, for example, the clenbuterol. There were a few uh, riders, I think. Um, uh, Alberto Contador was found positive uh, uh, on clenbuterol. I think some NFL players have been found positive on on uh, for, for using clenbuterol, uh, or uh, but they were able to demonstrate that it was actually contaminated meat because clenbuterol is used to stimulate the growth of um, uh, uh, of cattle in for, in Mexico and certain parts of the parts of the world. Uh, Drostanolone isn't used for that. It's only used really for um, you know, shaping and defining. Um, it was originally an anti-cancer drug, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, so it seems hard to explain this away as uh, something accidental. Um, he was found, according to news stories which came out today, um, with uh, or the, the the sample contained a very smaller, you know, very trace amounts. But then trace amounts are the point is. The um, uh, permitted level is zero, um, uh, so you shouldn't have uh, any of these substances in your blood if you want to be a professional athlete. Um, both samples have now tested positive. It means that he faces a four-year ban from uh, motorcycle racing, and at his age, um, which I think he's 30, 30 or 31, uh, that would basically mean the end of his career because um, he's not going to come back and it puts Aprilia in a bit of a difficult situation really. Yeah and that's going to be what will be one of the big stories from this as well as to what actually happens with Aprilia. You mentioned it there David that uh, you know we've gotten some of the some of the news has been released about the sample. I think Gazetta della Sport have been probably the most up to date on it and they're talking in terms of how Ian O'Neill is going to try and use the excuse of contaminated meat as well but as you said it might not be as clear cut as some of the other cases that have been able to use that as a as an excuse in the past. So for Ian One, as it stands right now, you have to look at it that he is going to have a ban, whether it's two years, four years, or any time between that. And uh, that's where now the story turns to what happens with Aprilia. And Neil, for you, when you look at Aprilia for next year, David's already talked about how they're trying to make big steps forward for next season. But who do you see being on that bike at the Qatar Grand Prix? Yeah, if it's not Iannone, it's um, it's definitely a tough one, and you could see why Aprilia would be so up in arms about this, or so so upset because um, Iannone is a is a pretty integral player uh, in bringing this uh, project forward, and um, you know we've kind of seen um, with factories, it's you know factories like Suzuki, Aprilia, they are at a disadvantage only having two riders, and if you take one of those riders away, Iannone, let's not forget, is a Grand Prix winner. Um, real quality, um, then they're in a very sticky situation indeed. And, you know, so much um, basically falls on the shoulders of Alicia Spargo. But I guess the obvious one um, would be Bradley Smith, who's currently a prettiest test rider. 
has been for the past year. Um, did um, some pretty good testing work. Alicia Spargro certainly talked him up. Um, his, uh, you know, he had a bit of a checkered history when he, he was wildcarding uh, for Aprilia last year. Um, but beyond Bradley, uh, who obviously has, you know, a lot of years of experience in MotoGP, uh, podium guy in the past as well. Um, it's it's quite difficult um, thinking who they could who they could possibly go. I mean, here looking down the grapevine, hearing down the grapevine. I mean, has there been any other names that have, have been mentioned? Yeah, I mean, the name that uh, is being uh, sort of banded around is Carl Abraham because he is um, available. Basically, he's got MotoGP experience. He is available. Um, he could possibly take it on. But then again, he could also possibly just take over the role of uh, test rider from from Bradley Smith. Certainly, I mean, I've uh, had a few sort of the text chats with uh, uh, Bradley Smith. Bradley Smith thinks um, that he is first in line. Um, but, you know, these things aren't decided until they're decided. Um, so he's waiting to see what uh, what happens with it. But um, it, it would make—I mean—it would make the most sense to have uh, Bradley Smith on the uh, on the bike. The loss of Ianoni is also important because Ianoni has got lots of experience with, um, uh, you know, proper top-flight electronics. He was on the Ducati, um, so he's had experience with the with Ducati. He knows he knows what a MotoGP what MotoGP electronics are supposed to do. Uh, and that was one of the problem areas for Aprilia. So it is, it, it's a huge loss to him. It's also, I mean, it's also a huge loss to racing because Ianoni was absolutely one of the most talented riders on the grid. He could never, he always managed to get in his own way. He always managed to, um, sort of stop him, find a way to prevent himself from, uh, succeeding in the way that perhaps he could have. Um, but you know he was still always an exciting rider. I mean, we ju- we saw last year, you know, Philip Island on the Aprilia, where he was just outstanding, absolutely fantastic. Um, you saw what he's actually capable of. So losing him is a uh, it's you know it's it's a terrible shame. It really it really is a shame for the series. Yeah, I think it's always easy to forget about some of the performances we've seen from Ian Oney. If you think back to his Moto2 days, he was able to dominate Moto2 races, win by 10, 11 seconds. He's been able to win a Grand Prix in the Premier class. He's been able to have loads of strong results, and it would be a big loss not to have him on the grid next year, but it does look like it's a real possibility. And that's where, as as you said earlier on in the show, David, one of the biggest things is it's from official sessions, which also means test sessions. So he's not able to do the Sepang test. It'd be one thing about uh, doing a private test for Aprilia, but Aprilia will lose out in his data from that first test in February. Yeah, and it's not just um, uh, uh, MotoGP. It's all FIM-sanctioned events. I mean, if you look at what happened to uh, Ant West, um, Ant West was banned and then went to race in Brazil, uh, but uh, the, the, the racing in Brazil was also under the auspices of the FIM, um, and he got kicked out of, uh, of that as well. Um, so, you know, there is literally nothing that um, uh, there is no form of sort of a, a competition or official events which uh, which Ianoni could actually take part in. Uh, I'm not even sure that he could become a private. You know, he, he could test privately for Ianoni. He might uh, for for Aprilia. Uh, he, he might be able to. Uh, 
but I'm not sure that he would actually want to. I'm not sure that's something he wants to do. I mean, you know, Ian Oney is a is a pure blood racer, and he wants to race. Um, uh, he was perfectly adequate at, uh, at testing, but um, you know that wasn't his thing. His thing was definitely you know getting out there on Sunday and showing what he's capable of doing. So um, I think it's going to be a uh, things to be a huge uh, a, a huge problem for him. A huge problem for Aprilia um, and it, it's a shame but if uh, I mean you know he's been found guilty that I, I don't see how this can how this ended up in his blood uh, 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 sort of uh, other than sort of actually bit actually using the substance on purpose rather than accidentally so it, uh, it it just seems like a massive mistake yeah, because one of the one of the biggest things about all the anabolic steroids, you talked about how this one specifically, it's about trying to reduce some of the uh, the water in your system and try and give you more lean muscle and things like that. But the big thing with all the anabolic steroids is they're designed and developed solely to aid recovery. They're there to try and make sure that the tissue recovers quicker, and it's not actually the steroid that gives you bigger muscles it's the fact that you're able to train twice a day at the same intensity it's the fact that you're able to do x y and z far more and there is a clear benefit to be had from using one of these drugs even for a motorcycle racer we only look at it and think in terms of bulking up if you hear steroids but it's a, the only purpose for steroids is to aid recovery and that's where the big benefit can come from and if Ianone has taken this wittingly and knowingly then he'll deserve whatever punishment comes to him if he's taken it unknowingly through food contamination. It's always a tough one to be able to prove, but it would be a shame to see him lose out on on a season or a couple of seasons of racing. Yeah, and also the burden of proof is on Ianoni. So it's up to Ianoni to prove that it came through uh, some kind of contamination. And I think specifically with this substance, I think that's going to be really, really difficult to actually prove. Um, it, it, you know, it's going to be, it, it's going to look like uh, he took this for building, le- le- building lean muscle. As you say, it's about, you know, training better, uh, uh, losing weight. This, this one specifically, lean muscle, exactly the kind of muscle which you need on a MotoGP bike, uh, which is, you know, uh, hanging on building strength without gaining too much muscle. So we'll go from the Ian Ownay news to the other real news that we've seen over the course of the last couple of weeks. Uh, Neil, we just saw that Michelin have confirmed that they're going to have a new tyre for next season, a new rear tyre. It's the tyre that they used in some of the official tests through the course of last year. The goal being just to try and uh, improve some of the performance, but most importantly, just to improve stability with that rear tyre. So do you want to just talk us through what some of the findings were from the Catalonia test and then the Phillip Island test for Michelin with the, this new tyre. Yeah, so um, essentially this is a rear tyre that we saw uh, quite a few occasions uh, through 2019 at um, different tests. I think Michelin first introduced it at um, the one-day test in Barcelona, which came just after the, the Catalan Grand Prix in June of 2019. I think it was Mick, um, it was met with a pretty positive uh, reaction across all of the grid. Um, they then brought it to the Bruneau test in August, and I think it, again, uh, was getting two thumbs up. And, and basically, Michelin know that uh, Phillip Island, Argentina, those are some of the venues on the circuit on the Grand Prix calendar that can cause um, some kind of special kind of stress to uh, to rubber. So they then asked 
um, they asked basically the FIM Dorna if they could arrange a, an added test session uh, during the Australian Grand Prix last year. I think it was extra and added 15 minutes for guys all to go out in the same rear tyre um, that they had tested in Barcelona and Brno and um, put it through its paces there and to make sure that there was no signs of excessive wear or or anything and um, I think it was it was largely uh, positive in uh, in Australia so Mitchell announced uh, today which is Thursday the 8th of January 9th of January sorry uh, that they'll be uh, going ahead with this uh, new rear tire technology uh, in 2020 yeah, and uh, the, the uh, I think the point of the tire was uh, uh, basically um, it warms up a little bit faster, and uh, the it, it's more consistent over the uh, uh, over an entire race. Um, so it's going to make another one of these. I mean, it'll mean a little bit less tire management and a little bit more um, being able to go like full bore and, and and see where you end up at the at the end of the race. But it also means that riders will be able to gamble on a slightly softer compound um, uh, again, just to you know see see if it lasts to the uh, to to the end of the race. Try and get a, a bit more of a gap at the start, but. Um, um, I mean, this is the way. The, the, this is the reason Michelin goes racing is to develop their technology, which actually ends up on their uh, on their road tires. And the tire freeze, the way that that is um, set up, the fact that they can't change their tires during the year, that they have to uh, announce which tires are going to be used at which race before the Qatar Grand Prix, that complicates a lot of their development work. Yeah, and uh, that uh, brings us to a close then for the, the first show of 2020 as well. So, Neil, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks very much, Steve. Thanks um, for having me again. And Dave, thanks for joining us as well. Thank you very much, Steve. It's been a pleasure. And most importantly, thanks to everyone for listening to the show and for liking and uh, sharing some of the posts that we have. Obviously, on Twitter, we're at Paddock Pass Pod, and uh, always look forward to interactions from any of our listeners. Be sure to drop us some uh, questions you have as well because obviously between now and the start of the Sepang test we can look to bring in some of the listener questions and try and give you some of the info from inside the paddock from David and from Neil so so thanks for joining us and uh, as always be sure to follow us on the Patreon for patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast where you can get some exclusive content all the way through the year This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6. What you need and what you want in a motorcycle helmet. And Just as we were about to go back to Steve, he puts his call on hold. <laughs> Are you seeing he's on hold as well, Div? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I keep, uh, uh, Steve keeps oh, okay. on dropping in and out of the conversation. Okay, right, nice. He's obviously got more pressing concerns than the Paddock Pass podcast. He's probably checking like American football scores or something like that. Yeah. That's oh, right. he's back. Oh, no, getting phone calls. Oh, getting there phone he calls is. is the problem. Oh, so nice of you to join yeah, us again, I, mate. I'll eventually manage to stay on board for the whole thing. Fucking 30 fuck second phone calls with two different, two different companies there.